0: going to throw it and it
1: gets across here's Brady's pass it's Grabowski. Oh! Max strips it. He is unbelievable. As a football fan, weeks like this are just why you love the game and exactly. why we watch it week in and week out. We have Thursday night football, you had three games on Saturday. You had three games on Sunday, well, at least that you get to watch that are just nationally televised, and Monday night. I mean, it's just football after football after football, which is just fantastic. Welcome to the Tabor Gridiron Podcast. I'm Stephen, here with my son Isaac once again. And, you know, we want to talk some football. Mm -hmm. We want to... Dive in and talk about the week. We love being able to bring different people on as well. Don't forget to like us wherever you get your podcast and share us. That's the best for us, really. Just mm-hmm. share with your friends and family. And you can send us an email anytime at Tavergridiron at gmail.com. So, Isaac, we have had some opportunities to talk with, well, just fans of the game. Mm-hmm. And we've been able to talk with some players some former players, some coaches. I'm really excited because today we get to talk to a former quarterback of the Ooh. NFL. Yeah, this is going to be some really good stuff. We get to talk to Brock Heward. And Brock was drafted in 1999 by the Seattle Seahawks. Spent a couple of years with them. Then went over to the Colts, spent a couple years backing up Peyton Manning. we got to talk about that. Mm -hmm. That's going to be pretty epic. Yes. After time in the NFL, he worked for ESPN. He co-hosted a sports talk radio show in Seattle. Currently, Brock is a college football analyst for Fox Sports. Wow. And he's the co-host of the Brock and Salk Show for Seattle Sports with Mike Salk. So you can watch him on Fox Sports live on TV you could listen to him wherever you get your podcast. So just search for the Brock and Salk Show, and you can follow him on Twitter at Brock Heward. Brock, thanks so much for being here on the Table Gridiron yes, Podcast.
0: Yeah, this is fun, and I, I think it's the first with a 14 year old who sounds like a 24 year old <laughs> who's well versed in football. So I'm excited about this. Yes. I appreciate it. Thank appreciate you. it. Yeah.
1: Uh, so Brock, I really, I want to go and I I hope I'm now putting you on the spot here. Maybe you remember this day really well. I'm asking you to go back years here, but 1999, this is the first time we get to talk to somebody really on, talk to me about draft day. Like, what is that like to, to, to be (laughs) on draft day? The, the anxiety you wait just all day for somebody to pick you. Oh, just take me through that a little bit. If
0: you can. Well, it was last century, as you said. It was 1999, and it feels like a century ago compared to the draft of today. I mean, the draft of today is, you you mentioned last weekend in in the NFL, which was remarkable, right? Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Well, the draft nowadays, as we know it, is primetime Thursday night. It's Friday night, and then it's Saturday, rounds four through seven. Back in my day, it was all done in one day. Last century in 1999, it was the entire draft was all day, And you're absolutely right. If you were, and I was a third round pick, and it was many, many, many hours. And I kind of knew that I was going to be somewhere in that place, second or third round. So I tried to stay up really late the night before, watch movies and everything else back at my parents' house, and sleep through the first round, because that was the year that Tim Couch, Dante Culpepper, Kay McNown, and Achilles Smith, John McNabb, and all these QBs were all going to go in the top 10. And then I was going to fall somewhere. And I thought second round of Baltimore, I took a pre-draft visit there. They had kind of told me, hey, this is the two paths we're going down. And if we take a DB in the first round, we're going to take you at pick 42. And so that was kind of my mindset that day. And then pick 42 came and they traded for Tony Banks. And I waited a little bit longer until the hometown team that I grew up watching right in Seattle, about 45 minutes from my hometown, my high school Played college ball in Seattle at the University of Washington. Get drafted by the Seahawks. It was, it was in in many ways a dream come true to go number seventy seven. Stay home in front of family and friends, and all that waiting, 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 and then just pure adulation.
2: That's awesome, and that definitely sounds like an anxiety filled day of just waiting. And I know you said you were going you were thinking about going to Baltimore, but then they just switched you to the Seahawks, which obviously was your hometown. I don't know if this was um, when you were uh, on their team. What was it like being coached by Pete Carroll?
0: Yeah, that that was a little after me, but I'll tell you this, Isaac, watching him the last 12 years (laughs) and covering him and being the flagship of the Seattle Seahawks to see the culture that he has built and even to cover him when I was at ESPN at that time, calling games in the late 2000s with his dynasty at USC, yeah, he was one I would have loved to have played for. I don't think there's any question. You watch and talk to so many of the former players for Pete at USC. The last 12, 13 years now in Seattle, they have such admiration and, and such love for the culture that that he creates, a, a culture that empowers players, that builds into players. You know, I was still in that era in the NFL where it was so fear driven. And it was really a – it wasn't about what you could do well. It was hammering you on what you didn't do well. And uh, it's been kind of neat to see the turn. I, I got to play two years in Indianapolis for Tony Dungy. Oh, And he nice. was probably one of the – I think – has Tony been on your guys' show? Has so, been on yeah, your podcast? Yeah, we, we
1: have. Tony has nice. been with us. Who, he's just fantastic. And, yeah, I, I want to hear – that was – one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was, well, Tony, and then obviously with Seattle – that was you were with Mike Holmgren then, correct? Correct. Yeah, yep. which if we remember him as. Well, I do at least was the Green Bay Packers and, and Brett Favre, and then moved over to Seattle. Um, so I mean, for you playing with two just outstanding coaches with Mike, and then yep. yeah, going to Coach Dungey. So yeah, what what is that now? You're you're backing up Peyton Manning, and Coach Dungey is coaching you.
0: Yeah, what it is is it's an enormous blessing that has paid dividends in my broadcasting career that has created friendships and relationships that have lasted for decades. And I have a faith in sports podcast and coach Dungy was kind enough to, to jump on that early. And as that got going and, and to still be a friend and he jumps on our radio program and to be a text away at times. And Peyton lives. I now live in the Rocky mountains outside of Denver, Colorado. And Peyton makes his home here and to stay connected with him and kids about the same age as my youngest. and, you know, football, that, that's what football, the beauty of it is and the beauty of that locker room. And you know this, you guys watch it, you cover it, you talk to people in it. They all say the same thing. There's nothing like a locker room. There's nothing like the camaraderie and the culture that's built through the game of football. And those bonds last an awful long time. And with the Trent Dilfers, the Matt Hasselbacks, the Jim Zorins, Tony Dungies, the Peyton Mannings, um, I count a lot of friends and a lot of blessings from those years in the locker room with
2: them. Nice. That is definitely sounding like an experience. And you get to, you get to kind of pick up on all those experiences from all the quarterbacks before you. I understand you are a backup to Peyton Manning. What was it like just being around him and the environment he created? Humbling.
0: <laughs> Humbling, Isaac, because he was so doggone good. And his brain just functioned at a level that nobody else that I was ever around in the game even even kind of to this day still and get to cover the game and call games and meet with coaches. And I'm not as close to those people as I was with Peyton every single day for two years watching him work, but just his processor, right? Computers and our phones and all this technology have different gigabytes and different processing speeds. And the way that his mind worked was was different. I remember one of my first mini camp practices being back there in Indy. I spent three years, my first three in the West Coast system, learning the language, thinking, "Ah, I got this thing licked. Yeah, I know football pretty well. I know all this terminology. I can call all these very verbose plays. And I got to Indianapolis and I was there two years. But my my first mini camp practice, like, there's no way. I don't. How does he do this? How does he check every play? How does he get to the line of scrimmage and see all of this? How does he operate and function in this way? And call my wife that night, um, Aunt Molly, who was back in Seattle. I said, "I don't, I don't know how I'm gonna do this," because this is just at a, this is at immense a level from a football processing standpoint that I didn't think possible. And he, he was, he was that good. He was at that level. Certainly physically he could throw it. He worked his butt off. Nobody, nobody worked harder in the weight room, conditioning, maximizing everything he had because he wasn't bestowed with great foot speed or great jumping ability or tremendous strength or anything. He had to work for all of it, but from the neck up, he was a pretty darn talented individual.
1: Yeah, it was, I mean... Isaac remembers watching him for years. Mm-hmm. I certainly do, and just watch how he commanded the game and how he he just did what he did. It's a different even just day and age from the, a lot of the quarterbacks that we're seeing now. And you still have obviously Tom Brady in there doing his thing, and you got some pocket passers, but it's definitely kind of morphed into that that running and and all the play action and things like that. And Peyton was just amazing at, at what he did and how he did it. It was, it was just, it was mind blowing. I remember years ago we were actually talking, uh, Isaac and I here on the podcast and I was like, Oh dude, like we got to talk to Peyton Manning. Wouldn't it be super cool to get him sometime? And Isaac's like, nah, I'd rather talk to his brother, Eli. <laughs> 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 I was oh, Perfect. Great. I actually yeah. tweeted that out that and nobody responded, but I was like, you know what? Hey, maybe at some point yeah. um, that was pretty funny. So, Hey, I talking about, backing up Peyton, obviously then even in Seattle, you you played some games, you were able to start some games, but I want to talk about you were primarily a backup quarterback. Yep. And a lot of times that gets overlooked, and a lot of times people don't necessarily think about it. And Isaac and I were really just diving in and talking, going, like, how important that is. We We watch it in games for years, and even this year, like, you are kind of those unsung heroes. You have to be ready all the time. You don't know if you're going to be sitting there for two years. You don't know if week three you're being thrown in. You don't know if all of a sudden somebody just got hit in the head and now they're in concussion protocol and you know now it was a little bit less You know back in the, the early 2000s with stuff like that. But you don't know if you got to be thrown in for one, two plays then you're back out again. Take me through that mindset of a backup of you always have to be prepared
0: and ready. If you sit there for two years and you kind of slack off and then now's your time – you're in trouble yeah you won't last and uh, yeah my namesake right now in the league is doing some pretty special things he was the last pick in the draft he was third string in san francisco i'm sure brock purdy great kid great family from arizona i covered him in college and he didn't check all the boxes he's not the biggest he's not the fastest he's not the strongest he's got short arms he's got small hands and all of these scouts that look for all these measurables because over the over the course of time, those measurables have proven valuable looked at him and said, yeah, you're Mr. Irrelevant. You're the last guy taken in the NFL draft in April and spin it forward. And he's not first string. He's not second string. He's third string and barely makes a team, frankly. Mm -hmm. And, and most teams don't even keep three quarterbacks in this day and age. They keep two and maybe one on the practice squad, San Francisco with Jimmy Garoppolo's injury history and Trey Lance running around smart enough to keep him on the roster keep developing him, keep growing him. And he never took a day off because when Mr. Irrelevant got called upon is a third stringer, he was ready to go. So that, that has to be the mindset. That's how those guys, the case Keenum stick around for a long time because they're prepared. They really do. It sounds cliche, but you'll hear a lot of them say it. Yeah. Like I'm preparing to be the starter. I'm I'm coming home and I'm studying and, and I'm spending time in the meetings and I'm engaged and I'm out on the practice field. There were times that practice would end and we'd go to meetings and then I would go back on the practice field and just try to call these plays and operate like in an imaginary world. If I was playing like Peyton did, okay, so okay, we're in dice, right? you know, scat, right? Why dig? And okay, alert, you know, 55 blunt and, and try to just picture and get those, get those mental reps and then physical reps, frankly, versus air at times, because that's what you have to get. But Brock Purdy is case in point to Mr. Irrelevant being ready to go, being prepared and having a 49ers team. That's as hot as anybody in the league. Well, absolutely. A hundred percent. And I
1: feel like that it's almost harder Everything you just mm-hmm. described, that that mental state, you, you really have to be on top of yourself for that because it's easy to kind of just feel sorry for yourself or
0: to kind of get it is, down. It is harder, but your body is also not beaten up like these starters are right. beating <laughs> up, right? I mean, so that, that is like my father-in-law loves to say that life's about trade-offs. And that starter and Peyton's in there getting treatment, ultimately, you know, I knew that his neck was messed up. Even the early 2000s, he's getting extra treatment and extra work and all the extra time in the training room and everything that he's doing, you know, treatment wise to just get his body back and, and put together and ready to go. So, you know, those starters take an absolute beating. Those car accidents, those guys get in. You know, the the Jalen hurts with a, a now sprained shoulder. Yeah. I guarantee you, it's barking, it's aching, it's hurting. There's Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, with with yet another injury. There's Trey Lance with a broken lower leg. Like you read those things, and you just kind of as football fan, eh, that's just part of the game, right? You take it for granted. But if you were in that body and you were feeling that pain, you'd be right. like, oh my gosh, how do these guys do it? So it's physical anguish for those guys, plus the mental pressure of playing, and then for the backup you take that physical burden off. And yeah, it certainly is a, a mental focus and, and concentration you have to have.
1: Now, I mean, it's hard being a, a starter and, you know, keeping that. And I mean, there's people look and go like, oh, I want to be a quarterback in the NFL. There's not really a whole lot of them. You know, there's 32 starting quarterbacks and then you got your backups. And some guys I feel over the years are, are better at being a backup. And some mm-hmm. guys are just always, you know, your backup quarterbacks, they get their opportunities. To me, one of them, is Nick Foles. Like mm. I feel like Nick Foles struggles as a starter, you know, when he started with the Bears, he started with this mm-hmm. team. like but he is a I, I don't want and not to to be mean about it. Like I feel like he and Isaac and I've talked about it. He is a great cleanup quarterback. He is oh. great at coming in even just halfway through the season and you know, he won a Super Bowl. I feel like when that pressure is for him to be like, now I'm the starter and I'm going to start a season and do that, you see the struggles. But when he's sitting on the bench and he's watching the starter, he's watching the game, he's
0: analyzing everything, and then now is his moment, he shines. And he's maximized it, right? It's kind of like in in baseball, you have your starting pitchers and you have your aces and you have your guys at the top of that rotation that can take it and usually have the stuff that's pretty unique and different, kind of like Josh Allen, kind of like Joe Burrow, kind of like Patrick Mahomes, kind of like Justin Herbert, kind of like these guys where you just know size, strength, arm, velocity, talent, boy, they are just kind of like those ace pitchers. And then you kind of have the next grouping that, you know, in a rotation or two, three and four, and they certainly have great stuff and and can certainly, you know, put a game together and win games and, and be competent. And you got a big swath of those in the NFL as well. And then you guys got you got guys just fighting to prove and to stick around and like Brock Purdy, maybe they're 5'11 with small hands, but man, they just have game and they've got guts. And and when they're thrust in the right situation with a tremendous supporting cast and they don't have to carry the whole burden, they can be a cog in the machine. They're pretty good. And I think that's been, as you said, Nick Foles. And then in the market that I broadcast into, Seattle, You have a Geno Smith who for 10 years in four organizations was a backup. And then he watches, he learns, he takes a little from Russell, a little from Phillip Rivers, right, a little from Isaac's buddy, Eli Manning. And then when he gets the full reins, look what he's able to do this season, 10 years into this league, and and prove that, nope, I've got enough stuff that I can be a top of the rotation guy. So, yeah, man, it's what makes the NFL great. You said it in the open to start. Like, what a weekend. What an unbelievable weekend of games. Scripts that Hollywood couldn't even write. Comebacks and huge moments and crazy plays and end of game meltdowns. But that's the NFL and it's why it's the most watched sport and beloved by so many in our country.
2: Oh, for sure. 100%. Like that, even we talk about here, like we say, that's why we watch football because you never know what's going to happen and there's always things that are unexpected. This week, there was a lot of big upsets. We got which is just shocking to me. The Rams got beat by the Packers and they won the Super Bowl last year, but they're actually now out of playoff contention, which is just shocking to me just seeing how quickly some little things happen here and there and seeing just a team decline. What were your takeaways from this week?
0: Oh boy, probably the biggest comeback in NFL history. I, I probably had yep. to start yes. there,
2: you know, and the
0: fact that Frank Reich had held that for 30 years with the Buffalo Bills. I remember watching that game, Isaac, when I was about your age. Wow. And Frank Reich comes in as a backup, again, speaking of backups, and they're getting blown out by the Houston Oilers and Warren Moon, and then they just chip away and chip away and chip away and erase a 32-point deficit to hold the biggest comeback in NFL history. And then fast forward 30 years, and Frank Reich unceremoniously fired an Indy after getting an extension, and Jim Irsay is is I think panicking right now and firing people and making moves and getting rid of Carson Wentz last year. And now fire Frank Reich, and again you can't write it. Who, who's right. going to <laughs> who is going to break Frank Reich's record? Yeah, somebody against those Indianapolis Colts who fired Frank Reich, who you know is a believer in Kirk Cousins and a great guy. And I saw the the text exchange between Kirk cousins and Frank Reich and Frank saying, if anybody was going to break it, Kirk, I'm really proud that it's you and, and just great guys. So to me, that's probably top of the list. And again, one of those stories that if you tried to sell it to Hollywood, they'd be like, yeah, I don't know, man, that's, that's a little fictional. That's why don't you send that to Hallmark? You know, like, right. that <laughs> yes. probably fits over there a little bit better. No kidding.
1: So first of all, I love that you mentioned the Houston Oilers and Warren moon. I, I, I was a huge Buffalo bills fan. Growing up, Jim Kelly was my guy, Dan Marino, and I loved Warren Moon. I was a huge quarterback guy. I just loved watching these guys play at the top of their game. Isaac, way before your time, Oilers aren't even around. Yeah, it's just so, one. I love that you even mentioned that. But I feel bad with this greatest comeback in NFL history. And sadly, I I, I do, I really do feel bad for him that Matt Ryan has to be on the end of this from falling apart in the Super Bowl, you know, blowing yep. a 28-3 lead with the Falcons against the Patriots, and then all of a sudden now it's poor Matt Ryan on this end falling apart as well. Is it just happenstance? I don't want to put that on him and be like, well, sure. you know, poor 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 Matt, it's just I think it just unfortunately happened that way. I I think we've seen some great stuff from Matt over the years. He's struggling, yes, with with the Colts right now. But again, it's like that story that you write, like, no, you can't write that stuff. I'm like, you're looking things up and I'm like, really? Like, what's the odds of poor Matt being on this, both ends of those things?
0: Yeah, my youngest is a year younger than you, Isaac. And we were sitting there and and he's not the biggest World Cup fan or soccer fan, but uh, we were driving, I think, to, to church on Sunday and he's like, can you imagine, Dad? If you're in Argentina and you're on these penalty kicks and, you know, for Messi and for the country and the pressure. And I'm like, yeah, man, that's the pressure of being in the environment. That's the pressure of being in the arena that comes with it. You know, if you want to look at the pressure of it, but look at the upside. Can you imagine being the one to make that kick? And then for the rest of your life in that country, you're remembered and you are celebrated and you are loved for what you did. I mean, that's a. That's a beauty of competition. That's a beauty of stepping inside the ropes as you have a chance to be the hero. You have the chance to be the goat. I threw five interceptions in an Apple Cup, and I sent Washington State and Ryan Leaf to their first Apple Cup or Rose Bowl in 67 years. And those five interceptions came off my fingertips and my hands as I let those passes go. And I'll remember that for the rest mm. of my life. Uh, But I also remember draft day. I also remember championship games. I also remember the locker room and the relationships. And Matt Ryan has had an amazing nearly two-decade career. Mm -hmm. And he's got enough wins and enough moments and enough memories to feed the rest of his life but yes, this is a part of being a competitor. He will also remember these two and, uh, and hope, you know what, somebody else break this record, right? And somebody else, please in time and and in time, they likely will be broken in a Super Bowl and in time in a regular season, but it may just take 10, 20, 30 plus years to get it done.
2: For sure. hundred percent. And like you said, records, they're kind of meant to be broken and they're like, that's why records are here. And they're and with Matt Ryan he does have a long experience he's I remember watching him on the Falcons he's just been around so long and he does have experience and so yes there are a lot of great things happening around this league a lot of great teams this year a lot of underdog teams I've been seeing coming up like the Eagles the Jets all these like teams that were kind of in the shadows before are kind of showing who would you say this year is your team that you're kind of rooting for this year
0: well, I always root for the Seahawks because when they do good, more people listen to our radio right. show. So yeah. that's just a totally Isaac, totally and completely selfish. But that's <laughs> uh, that's where I'm probably most motivated. We get a chance to... To talk to Pete Carroll on our radio program oh, every nice. Monday following games, which is an absolute privilege and blast. And so, yeah, it's always more fun uh, uh, to talk, and, and he's a little more accessible and open when they do win. So, and they've had a, they've been one of those underdog stories. Everybody thought they'd be terrible. You lose Bobby, you lose Russell Wilson. Yeah, you're rebuilding, and they're just showing you. And I think you're seeing that. San Francisco's down to a third string quarterback, but it's not the, just the quarterback. It's your team. Philadelphia with Jalen Hurts and the second, you know, second round guy that's grown and developed there the last few years. And they built an amazing team. Cincinnati has rebounded. They've got a tremendous team. Yes, Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes carry those two franchises, but I think you're seeing a lot more team dynamics. You know, three, four, five years ago, oh, it's all about the quarterback. Oh. Got to have Brady. Oh, got to have Rodgers. Oh, got to have just the best QB, Drew Brees. Oh, it's all about the quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. I think we're learning a little bit that, no, it's actually if you build a team like the Seahawks did in 2011, 2012, 2013, like the Steelers did in in the decade beforehand, I don't know, like the Cowboys and the 49ers and the Steelers through every decade, you can kind of look back at it and go, yeah, they had great quarterbacks still. There's no question. But you had elite teams and i think we're seeing a little bit more of that here in 2022
1: 100% and i isaac and i talk about it all the time it's those three you know phases you need the offense your defense your special teams and you win as a team and you lose as a team i was glad in, in a right way i don't you know that the eagles even lost a game because i, I feel like it really helps you to see who you really are and, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're plowing through. Yeah, we kind of had an easier schedule. People are saying stuff. Now we all of a sudden lost a game. Well, how do you come back from that? Do you just get all down or it's it's easier to skip over the things that you're not doing well when you're just winning and plowing through. And then now all of a sudden, boom, you got yep. halted. You just stop and go, oh, we got to clean up this. We got to clean up that. We got to do a little bit better here. And so Isaac and I are t- constantly I'm just like, hey, it, it's a team aspect, a team sport, and you
0: you win and you lose as a team. And yep. you gotta look at it that way. No question. And Isaac, you said it earlier about the Rams to go from the Super Bowl. They're the first team who in decades and decades to win a Super Bowl and have a losing record. And it's not even a losing record. I mean, it's just right. not even it's it's could end up being seven, eight, nine games under five hundred. But last year, there were a bunch of pieces to that machine. Last year, it was Cooper Cup. It was Matthew Stafford. It was Aaron Donald. It was Jalen Ramsey. It was their special teams. It took all of them to climb that mountain and get over the hump. And then when they get paid, and then when they flirt with retirement, and then when they, I don't know if I want to be back, and then when they don't really participate in the off-season training camps and OTAs very much, you realize like, nope, there's some pretty special stuff in that old acronym called TEAM. And my dad was our high school coach, and it was one of the things that he loved. Together, everyone achieves more. And boy, that is tried and true through the decades. And uh, and many of the players and coaches that I know you talk to on this podcast, I think would all say the same thing. The beauty of football is it does take everybody together, everyone achieving more. Absolutely. So, okay,
1: Seattle, they still have a shot. They can they can make it. Is that who who you think I'm again, I'm going for the Bills this year. And I mean, Isaac and I are here in Chicago. Yeah, we're Bears fans, but we won't even talk about the Bears. And I've been a Bills fan since I was little. And they've made it four times to the Super Bowl. And as a yep. kid, I gotta tell you, as a kid, like I was young, you know, I'm 10, 12, 13 years old, Isaac's age. And your team gets to the Super Bowl four times in a row and loses it four times. That was heartbreaking. And then now seeing the team now, how they've been last year, I thought for sure they were going to be able to do it. I Mm. still think they can this year. To me, I'm like, if you get to the Super Bowl, you have to win because you can't get there and lose again. Isaac was going for the Saints. I was. That's not happening. That's not. Yeah. Um, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so is is that who you're riding with to
0: hopefully get to the playoffs and and win a Super Bowl this year? I'm with you, man. There's something about the Bills culture. Something about Bills mafia. Something about that yes. sense of community. Something about being a a small market. Right, sitting there in upstate New York, having a It feels like the whole season they've just been shoveling snow just to get that stadium (laughs) ready to go. And Josh is such a servant-hearted, humble leader. He showers all of his teammates constantly with applause and fame. And they just seem to have some of that secret special sauce. They did a year ago, and they were right there. They have had catastrophic injuries. The loss of Von Miller is big, will be big in the playoffs and Super Bowl. If they were fully healthy, they lose the safety early in the season. If they had all their horses at the end, I, I do think that they would be equipped to win it. But we know this about the NFL. It's not September, October, November. The games you remember do begin in December. We're seeing that. And then it's all about health. Can you stay healthy through yeah. January and on your way to a Super Bowl? And the healthy team, and last year Cup and and Stafford and Donald and they were all healthy. Ramsey they were all there, available, and there was a big reason they lifted that trophy. So that's going to be the key because Buffalo has no more margin. They got no more stars that they can lose. Uh, Kansas City is is healthier. Uh, obviously, Buffalo beat them right now. If they went out, Buffalo gets that very important buy. But those are the two in the AFC. And then I think as a team, a collection, Philly and San Francisco yeah. are just different. They got more horses in the stable than anybody else. And going to be fun to watch these, uh, as I said a number of times on this podcast, these teams go about finishing the race well.
1: For sure. I, I think it could very well be a 49, a defensive team that wins the Super Bowl. And the 49ers right now are just off the charts defensively, we said earlier with Brian. I like the
0: Seahawks. He, yeah, he's, man, in 12 doing and 13.
1: Good yep. enough, you know, yep. to lead on the offense. So I think it's going to be yeah, crazy. Hey, I want to I want to respect your time. I want to let you go. I, just really quick. You, you went from you know, playing in the NFL, now going into the broadcast booth, doing that for years, which is a lot of fun. Can you you know, we watch things on TV. We we talked with Michelle Tafoya a couple of weeks ago and kind of got that insider information of, you know, the the sideline reporter. And it was so cool. Can you just quickly, as we close here, take me into the broadcast booth a little bit. All we do, we, we see what's on TV. We see the polished, everything put together. Mm-hmm. What's going on behind the scenes? I, I You got to, you know, remember people's names and the plays that are calling. Like... Is everything, what you're, you know, in delay of what we're seeing, like, just take me into that broadcast Mm -hmm. booth, kind of the behind the scenes, little spy, a little fly on the wall of what's Mm -hmm. going on during a broadcast.
0: Well, like many things, and I know this isn't your guys' full-time gigs, because I'm going to guess, Isaac, you're still a student, and and I know, Steve, what you do in in the publishing and broadcasting world, which is awesome, um, what you see on TV is just the finished product, and you don't see... You know, when the game ends on Saturday for me in college football, that usually means trying to get a head start on what's coming the next Saturday. And usually we'll get our assignment the very next day. Uh, Sometimes it's two weeks in advance, but most of the time with TV contracts, we get it on Sunday and then I'll spend Sunday after church trying to find a couple hours to watch some tape because on Monday we meet as a crew, our producer, our director, our play-by-play sideline some of our graphics and and people in the crew to kind of put a bow on our game from Saturday, kind of like our own team meeting of, hey, what did we like? What didn't work? What did work? And then we spin it ahead to to the matchup. And then there's anywhere in a week between 30 and 40 hours of prep. That's watching tape. That's reading stories. My company, Fox, will send us the curate all the articles and the markets that the teams we're in. So I'm seeing all the newspaper articles. I'm getting the game notes from the universities, I'm talking to the SID. I'm watching the game tape. We then travel on Thursday. Uh, we meet with the programs in person on Friday. I'll typically watch a practice on Friday. We'll have an hour and a half to two hour production meeting, making sure we line up all of our notes, our video, our Graphics, our storylines. So we're all queued up and ready to go. And then it's game day and it's live and it's real time. And nope, there's nothing delayed. You're taking it in, you're reacting, you're processing. And I do think those years of processing as a quarterback have certainly benefited me processing as a broadcaster. And if you look at Troy Aikman and Tony Romo and some of the best in the business, they typically come from that background of playing the QB position and seeing the game that way in totality and processing it. So it's a blast. Uh, it's a lot of hours. Uh, I don't call it a job. It's it's a it's a passion. It's what I love to do. I'm fortunate to do, and uh, yeah, it gives me a chance to use all those old backup QB skills of processing and visualizing and seeing, and ultimately talking about it every Saturday. That's awesome.
1: I, I appreciate that. Just kind of yes. getting that that picture and that yeah that sounds it sounds like a dream come true and it would be a blast to do that for sure. Brock thanks so much yes, for being you. here on the Tabor Grand Iron podcast for spending some time with us for just diving into the, the team aspect of football. I hope we can do it again sometime. Mm-hmm. It's been just a blast hanging out with you.
0: You got it and uh keep up the young work uh, hard work young man. If you want to do it it is there's no secret recipe. It's like a lot of professions out there. If you want to if you want to do this as a broadcaster one day, you want to you know, host your own radio show, you're putting in the hours now at 14, which is amazing. And uh, keep on doing that because dreams do come true.
2: Thank you. I appreciate that. That's definitely motivating. And yeah, this is definitely one of the things I'm looking at doing. And if it does pan out, that would be super awesome. Now just get Eli on the show that's the top tier goal right there
0: you got my email let's stay in touch god bless you guys have a great christmas too thank you 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 as well merry christmas see See you boys bye having brock on think about dude that was just awesome
1: that was amazing just having him break down some stuff talking about draft day and just the pressure of all of that Mm -hmm. being a backup quarterback all having to step into things just absolutely awesome i'm looking forward to having him on again and just talking more football. I love how he's breaking down everything and talking about the team, the team aspect. How, how much do we talk about that? It's just, Mm -hmm. you win and lose as a team, you rise and fall as a team. Like just the team aspect of that is just super cool to get guys like this and to be able to, to break those things down. And, I don't know. I'm kind of with him on what he's talking about with Buffalo. Buffalo is on thin ice right now. They, are. they cannot afford to lose any more guys. Can they really get deep into the playoffs and to a Super Bowl? If you're not going to win the Super Bowl, like I'd rather them not get to the Super yeah, Bowl. That's
2: bringing up like childhood trauma right, for you right, right. there. They'd just
1: be not cool. So at this point then, if you need to r- build a little bit more, then I'd rather you kind of wait there. The Eagles certainly can do it. Again, like I said, the 49ers defense can really step up, can dominate. Brock Purdy has been doing good enough to lead the offensive side.
2: I don't know. We're going to see what's going to happen. Playoffs are coming fast. They are coming fast, like really fast, because I always feel like it's always kind of a sad time when the playoffs come. Obviously, you're excited to see that all these teams battling it out and really showing what they got, because oftentimes, and we've even talked about this in the past, The championship games and even games leading up to the championship are sometimes better than the Super Bowl because all these teams are just battling it out and showing what they're really made of to make it to the Super Bowl. And that's often when you see some of the best um, games come out. And the Super Bowl is great, too. I mean, we've had some great Super Bowls, but a lot of times there's just so much hype going on with like the halftime show and the commercials and all this that it kind of overshadows the actual game. So I'm very looking—although the sad part about the playoffs is that you know that the season's coming to an end, which I always am sad about because football definitely has one of the shortest seasons, and so it's always— But we still got time. We still got time. We still got time to
1: break things down and and whatnot. So we're going to be able to do that next week. I'm looking forward to that. My Mm -hmm. thanks to Brock Heward. Again, you could— Listen to him on Fox Sports. You can find him wherever you get your podcast. Just look up the Brock and Salk Show. And don't forget to follow him on Twitter, at Brock Heward. So, Isaac, we'll connect, and
0: we'll hang out and talk next week. See ya.